1989, Harrison Ford, you may remember, played Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. They were searching for the Holy Grail, and they found the temple in which the Grail uh, was kept, and it was guarded by deadly traps to keep people from getting it. But not Indiana Jones, of course, because he was aided by his trusty diary. And it helped him pass through the first of three traps. Serious, significant, life-threatening traps. His father, played by Sean Connery, had been shot, was mortally wounded. And uh, we pick up in this scene as he faces the third trap. See if you remember this. Ever have a leap of faith like that in your life? You're thinking, perhaps not as dramatic as that. But I want to suggest to you, I think we face, as God's people, a leap of faith every day. Sometimes, moment by moment, depending upon the circumstances. I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the word faith, but the Greek word that is used throughout the New Testament is a word that means to believe. It means to, to trust. And in my own life, I find that those words, faith, believe, trust, they're all a part of my vocabulary. Chances are they're part of your vocabulary as well. And what I found is that they're, they're easy to use. I speak of having faith in the Lord, trusting in God, believing in what He has said, But I have noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too, that depending upon the circumstances, faith and my understanding or my use of faith takes on different meaning. Depends on the size of the precipice that I'm standing near. Is it small? Is it it vast? For instance... Let's just say I've got $500 in the bank. It's not designated for anything. It's just sitting there. A little padding, a little financial padding, a little financial security. I can say with 500 bucks in the bank, I have faith in God. And then the engine in my car falls out. And not only is it going to take the $500 that I have in my bank account, but it's going to take probably three or four times that to get the engine repaired. And I have no idea where the rest of that money is going to come from. Suddenly, my faith in God takes on a different meaning. Can you relate to that? You remember the story in Mark's Gospel The father with the demon-possessed boy, he'd gone to the disciples first, and the disciples were unable to to free the boy from the demon. And, And Mark says that about that time, as they're having this heated discussion about why this couldn't happen, Jesus walks on the scene and wants to know what's going on. And the man tells him that I brought my son to your disciples, and they couldn't cast the demon out. And he said, 
if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus' response was, if you can, if you can, everything is possible for those who believe. And the text says immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, help me, help me in my unbelief. I can so relate to that man. Can you? In my daily life. The strength of our beliefs and the depth of our trust, I think is often tested when the stakes are high and when there is, there is much at risk. A little over a month ago when, when eight of us were in Senegal, we had the privilege of meeting a Muslim man by the name of Cherno. Cherno is one of Dan Mule's closest friends. They have been friends for many years. And I asked Dan if he had any sense of where Cherno was at in terms of his understanding of Jesus or his, any relationship with Jesus. Dan said that, that Cherno has a great deal of respect for Jesus. And that he thinks that Cherno might even believe, be a believer in Jesus. But the stakes of going public with that commitment to Jesus for a man in his position, in that culture, in that country, the stakes are unbelievably high. Now, I'll be the first one to admit that I can't possibly relate to the amount of suffering and loss that comes to those living in Muslim countries, to those living in other countries that are, that are hostile to the Christian faith. I can't relate. But I also know that I want... Cherno, if he does believe in Jesus, to come to a place in his life where he does profess Christ with great strength of belief and conviction and confidence, no matter the consequences. And that he would be able to do that because he fully understands who he is in Christ and what he has in Christ, so that the losses that he may experience as a result of being an out there follower of Jesus, those losses, they pale by comparison to what he knows he has as a follower of Christ. And then, as I'm formulating those thoughts in my head, the Holy Spirit says, So, guy, what keeps you from that? Oh, I think he was talking to you, Lee. <laughs> he just got us confused. <laughs> what keeps me from that? What keeps you from that? <clears throat> Is that a precipice that we stand up against looking out over? Since Resurrection Sunday, we have been talking about resurrection living. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most defining truth 
of the Christian faith. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians, many of you know that he said, if the, if the resurrection of Jesus did not happen, then, then Christians are a sorry lot. They are to be pitied. They are living in la-la land. That's not exactly the words that he used there in the original language, but, but that's the sense. Paul's saying, what's the point? If Christ did not rise, then we have nothing. And the truth is, if Christ did not rise from the dead, my friends then what we believe about his victory over sin and death, it's not true. We're still lost in our sins. Got to figure it out. Do the best we can. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then his promise to, to never leave us, to always be with us in our lives, all lies. Because he's dead. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then then the hope that we have of ultimate redemption, God making all things new and bringing us to himself for all eternity, that's not going to happen. He's still dead. Now I would guess that, that most of us in here, perhaps all of us, believe, we trust, we have faith, that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. Therefore, we do believe the blessings that are promised to those who believe. And if we say that we believe it, then it only makes sense that we would, we would live like we believe it. Wouldn't you say? I mean, that, that's fair. Brennan Manning once said that the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then they walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. Manning says that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So for the past few Sundays, we've been in Ephesians 1. We've been looking closely at three specific prayer requests that, that Paul has prayed for the believers in Ephesus. And he prayed them for us as well. Prayed them for anybody who would read that letter, anybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I feel pretty certain that Paul prayed a lot of things, many things for the Ephesian believers, but it was these three things that he told them he was praying for them. He wanted them to know that he was praying these things, that he kept asking God to give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they would know these three things. And I think Paul knew that if they could really understand what it is that they had received because of their their obedience and their surrender and their commitment to Christ, if somehow they could really get it, then they would live their lives as if the resurrection really did mean something. Great prayer. So we've said from the start that, that these are the truths that we ought to be praying for one another. So let's stand and let's, let's read this, this passage one last time as we, we bring this brief series uh, in Ephesians 1 to, to a close this morning. Remember, the first part of the chapter is all about the glories of what God has done in Christ for us. 
Paul's words just explode off the page with amazement and wonder at what God has done. And then we read together. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. We've read this together several times over the last few weeks. We've seen that Paul's passion is that the Ephesian believers would have a spirit, would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God. He calls him the glorious father. To know the glorious father better. Why? Because knowing God is what human beings were made for. And to really know God, to know him as father, we have said along the way, simply cannot leave a person the same as when they did not know him as father. Os Guinness tells this story in his book called The Call. He tells a story about Arthur Burns. Some of you know the name. In the 70s, he was the chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve, economic counselor to a number of presidents. When he spoke, Guinness's people listened, carried weight. Washington listened. Arthur Burns was also Jewish. So when he began attending an informal White House group for prayer and fellowship in the 1970s, he was accorded special respect. No one, in fact, quite knew how to involve him in the group. And week after week, when different people took turns to end the meeting in prayer, Burns was passed by. He was never asked to close in prayer. And it was out of a mixture of respect and reticence, according to Guinness. One week, however... The group was led by a newcomer who did not know any of the above about Burns. So at the meeting's end, the newcomer turned to Arthur Burns and asked him to close in prayer. Some of the others glanced at each other in surprise and they they kind of wondered what was going to happen. Without missing a beat, Burns reached out, he held hands with others in the circle, and he prayed this prayer. Lord, 
I pray that you would bring Jews to know Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bring Muslims to know Jesus Christ. Finally, Lord, I pray that you would bring Christians to know Jesus Christ. I love that. Knowing Jesus. It's so familiar to us. And that's a part of Paul's concern in this context is that that it not be so familiar that the Ephesians not understand what God has done and what he has given them. To know Jesus is to know God in the flesh. To know him at the center of our being. That's what Paul wants. That place where the emotions are at and where the decisions are made that will result in a person living as if the resurrection really did happen, as if it really means something. That's why Paul prayed. We saw this together a couple of weeks ago. For the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened. In Paul's world, that was the place in the person where truth gets a hold of living. That's what Paul wants. He wants the truth of what God has done in Christ And what he has done in us as a result of Christ to get a hold of our living. And at the core of their being, Paul wants the Ephesians and us to know the hope to which they have been called. The hope to which they have been called. The riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. And God's incomparably great power for his people. For those who believe. Now, I suggested to you a few minutes ago that we face a leap of faith every day in our lives. And I think these truths represent that leap of faith. So, I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to ask them, so why does knowing and believing these things represent a leap of faith? Know the hope to which we've been called, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints, and God's incomparably great power for his people, for those who believe. How does knowing and believing those things represent a leap of faith? See what your neighbor says. Okay, we ready? What amazing theological truths did you hear from your neighbor? What do you think? Do do you think they represent a leap of faith? I mean, obviously that was my bias, which is why I gave you the question. Nat, what do you think? That's an interesting way of saying that. Set you up against the natural order of things. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yep. No, I think those are, those are great thoughts. And, and as you stand there on the edge of that choice, you're wondering, well, I wonder if this is it. Yeah. Every day, potentially, in, in a myriad of ways. What else? Anything else? Do you have to put that in such black and white terms? I have to tell others? Couldn't I just pray about it? Think about it? Consider it? Hang on to those examples. We want to come back to that. Doug, yes. Oh, say, say more. Okay, okay. I would go with that. Perhaps the voices that we perceive are speaking against it 
seem so loud that we are at least in part convinced that this is not the natural order of things. That would be some of our experience. Yeah, kingdom values certainly do clash with non-kingdom values. So true. Good stuff. Good stuff. I think bottom line, would you agree that we, we simply cannot know these truths the hope to which we've been called, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints, his incomparably great power for those who believe. How do we know and experience those things unless we are willing to take that step into the precipice? I mean, is that fair? You know, unless we are at a place where we are we're reduced to, that's my only choice, hopefully it doesn't always come to that, how do, I, how do I know that? How do I experience The author of Hebrews wrote that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, to please God means to be in a relationship with God where we, we come under his blessing. So without faith, it is possible to please God for the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those earnestly seek him. So faith, belief, trust, they are, they are channels through which we know and experience God. God has chosen to make himself known to those who are willing to take a chance on him, willing to step out into that precipice, to believe what he says about himself and in what he promises to those who believe. That's just the way it is. I think that's why it's called faith. You know, you, you really cannot taste or touch or feel or smell or, or hear the hope to which you've been called or, or the glorious inheritance of, of God in the saints nor the incomparably great power that he has available to you But when you reach out to God in faith and trust and believe that he is the one who rewards those, as the writer of Hebrews says, those who seek him, the truth and existence of God become your experience. Now, the reason I say all this is because I I just want us to to sort of wrap this series this morning with a a perspective on this text that, that I don't think we have really considered up to this point. Uh, I, want to, I want to put the three prayer requests together in kind of a, a package deal. This will be sort of, you know, one-stop shopping this morning as, as we end together. We talked about the first prayer request, knowing the hope to which we have been called. And as we learned, this is a two-dimensional hope. It, it is hope for this life, and it is hope for eternity. And it's a well-established fact that life is hard. We find ourselves living in a fallen and broken world. Life is hard. And so people are looking for hope in this life. And so the hope to which we have been called has something to do with this life. Because this is where we find ourselves. But it also, you remember, it it also is a hope that points to eternity. It points to something that is beyond this life. We have hope. The hope to which we have been called is the hope that God 
is on his throne, that God loves us, that God redeems, that God is in the circumstances of our life, both now and for all of eternity. Second request is that we will know the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. And we learn that that the plural use of that word saints, well, that reminds us, at least it should, and it should encourage us, I'm not in this alone. There are a lot of folks who believe what I believe. There are a lot of folks who've gone before me. There are a lot of folks who are walking the path now. And as long as the Lord tarries and this earth remains, there'll be a lot more in the future who choose this path. I'm part of this, this large group the scripture that Paul here refers to as saints. I'm not alone. But you remember, too, that we also learned that, that the sentence structure there and the language and the way that Paul uses it, well, he's really referring to the inheritance that belongs to God. So we can be blessed and encouraged by the fact that, that we are a part of this, this inheritance of the saints, this group And yet there is something in it for God. The language means that the inheritance belongs to God. It's God's possession. What is it that he gets out of this salvation plan? And we learn from Ephesians chapter 2 that what he gets is ultimately proof of his amazing love and grace to all who question it. Trophies. We call ourselves trophies of God's grace. And he's going to display us in his trophy case for all of eternity. And if there's anybody around that still doubts his goodness and his grace, going to point to his trophy case and say, see? See what I did? Yes, they were undeserving. Yes, they were a mess. Yes, they were broken. Yes, they were rebellious. Yes, they didn't love me. But when my grace acted upon their lives, everything changed. And I've said to you that the powers of darkness hate that possibility. They do, because they don't care about us. As I've said many, many times, they care about God's character and anything they can do to drag it down. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God's trophy case. What does he get out of it? A final vindication of his goodness and grace that has been doubted by the powers of darkness probably since the beginning of time. Third request, that we will know the incomparably great power for those who believe. Talked last week about that word power being the word that we get our English word dynamite. or it's, it's, it's an explosiveness. Something changes with this power. And it's interesting that, that those those words that Paul uses there, incomparably great. They're words that, that commentators struggle with. In its basic form, it means, it means power from another realm. Power that, that we've not seen or experienced before. And what I find interesting is that as we read this morning together, Paul goes on and on and on about this power. The description that he gives, he says this power is the same power which God used to raise Christ from the grave. You need to think resurrection living there. 
That's the power that resides. Remember we said last week, this is not an exhortation to pray for the power. This is not an exhortation to to want more power. This is a statement of the power has been given to those who believe. It's amazing language. Same power that God used to raise Christ from the grave, positioning Christ, Paul says, far above all rule and authority in the heavenly realms, above every title that exists, and as head of the church, which is his body, his fullness, his presence in the world. And I think for us this morning, what this text does, if we link these three things together, is ultimately it pushes us back to the basics. The hope to which we have been called. Where do we find the power to embrace and to believe that hope? It's already within us. Where do we find the ability to embrace the idea that, that my, my eternity is settled? My eternity is secure. That I am part of God's glorious inheritance of the saints in this life and for all of eternity. Where do I find the ability to believe that? It's already within you. And it's there because God has taken his power and placed it in us in the presence of his spirit. Does that make sense? Remember we said last week that this is not a power that we have. This is not a power that we conjure up. This is a power by association because we are linked to the one whose power it is. We now have that power. I had this thought early in the week. I should have called this sermon reckless living or living with abandon. But it sounded a little reckless. sounded a little radical. Yeah, for Mother's Day. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Oh my gosh. Glad I didn't. It sounds a little scary. But every day, my brothers and sisters, every day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you face the precipice of believing who God says he is. Every day you believe, you, you, you face the precipice of believing the promises that God has made for those who are in him through Christ Jesus. And every day, you have the opportunity to face the precipice and to step out and experience when you step into the truth in the midst of the circumstances around you that defy the truth and defy reason and defy logic, you have the opportunity to find his blessing, the opportunity to find his presence when you take that step. A couple of thoughts that came to mind earlier in the week. God is good. We would say that we believe that. And that he loves us. We would say that we believe that. Even though the world around us is a difficult place to live even though some of you, more than others of us, for reasons known only to God, are facing fierce 
painful, devastating circumstances. Your precipice is to believe what the world says or to step out and find God faithful in the midst of those hard circumstances. The powers of darkness that Paul goes on and on about at the end of this prayer that we have seen, that's where the doubts come from. Remember, anything to get at the character of God, anything to bring doubt into our lives about His goodness and His grace, anything to make us second guess His faithfulness, is coming from the enemy. So we have a choice. I just received a diagnosis, let's say, of cancer. Doctor says, you're not going to live for more than six months. I have a choice. Somehow there's been a mistake. Somehow God has chosen to take his blessing from my life. Maybe God isn't as good as I have been led to believe. Or I go back to the scriptures and I'm reminded of what it tells me about God and I'm reminded about what it says the role of suffering does in the lives of God's people and I am reminded that God's people are not exempt from suffering ever, anywhere, at any time, in any age and I choose to step out into that precipice and say, no, God is good. God is good. And God does love me. And I hate the fact that I live in this broken world, but I am clinging to Him, and I believe in who He is. And oh, by the way, this life is not all there is. Because I am part of the glorious inheritance of the saints. And someday, I will be numbered on His trophy case. Yeah, this is crap. I hate this. But this is not all there is. That's the kind of truth that I think needs to bubble up in our lives. And we need one another, as we've said before, that's a part of being in the group of the saints. Not to have fluffy conversations, but to have scripturally based, Holy Spirit empowered conversations to remind one another the truth of who God is, the promises of God, and where we're going. Now, I was thinking this about, can I talk about you too? <laughs> James and Sherry. Most of you know, they've made a decision to go off to Senegal and be missionaries. What a stupid idea. <laughs> Have you ever been to Senegal? Why would you want to live there? Because the Holy Spirit has been stirring in their hearts, and they are convinced that this is the step that God wants them to take. Now, imagine, worst case scenario happens. We love these guys. They take off to Senegal and they decide they're never coming back. That's awful. Well, it's only awful if you believe that this life is all there is. But if we believe that these few brief years that we live are just a drop in this eternal bucket of time, then we're going to be together for all of eternity. Do you see how the truth begins to shape? And, and my fear is, is that when I say these things, we can easily misinterpret them and, and, and hear it as sort of as a callousness. Oh, yeah, I know you're suffering, you're dying with cancer, but don't worry, you're going to heaven. That's not an excuse for that kind of stupidity or insensitivity. 
But what it is, is it's a call to be reminded of the truth and what is important. And that this is not all there is. And that God is present in the suffering. And that he is redeeming even those moments of pain and sorrow for his glory and ultimately for my good on into eternity. Make sense? It's hard stuff. It's not a gospel that anybody wants to hear these days. No, we, we, prefer, we prefer the fluffy. But I think if we're going to be people who live like the resurrection means anything, if we're going to be people who live as if what the Bible teaches about God is true, then we're not going to settle for the fluffy. We're going to be honest about the pain. We're going to be honest about the suffering. We're going to be honest about the brokenness. And we're going to be honest about who God is in the midst of all of that. The hope to which we've been called. The glorious inheritance. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And the power from another realm that indwells us, that gives us the ability to live with his glory and his praise and our final destination in plain view. Amen? Well, praise team, come on up and prepare to lead us. Thank you again. We love having you here this morning. Let's pray together as they come. Father, I would be a fraud if I did not admit to my whining and complaining about life sometimes. To buying into the garbage that is sometimes communicated even from the mouths of those who mean well. My prayer for myself and for all of these dear folks whom you love is that we would rally together around the truth of who you are. Be willing to stand at the edge of that precipice of belief or not to believe every single day concerns about our health, concerns about our future, concerns about our finances. Oh, Father, there is so much to be concerned about. Pray that we will be reminded of the truth of your word. That we will assume that if we are followers of Jesus, that the power of your spirit lives within us to believe the truth and to live out that truth and to trust you for our provision, both in this life and for all of eternity, for your glory and for your praise. Don't let us sell short. Don't let us see this life as if it's heaven. God, let us be lost in who you are, the glory and the grandeur of what you have done for us, the amazing nature of your grace to us in Christ. May that propel us through this life to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to all who cross our paths and on into eternity, we pray in his name.